Okay, brothers and sisters, let's open our Bibles together. And if you will, turn with me once more to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark, chapter 1, here in just a moment, I'll start in verse 24, or 21, rather, 21 through 34. Mark, chapter 1, 21 through 34 is our text today. The one with authority. What do you think of when you hear that word authority? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? This past week as I was writing the sermon, honestly the first thing that came into my mind was NBA announcer Marv Albert in the 90s. And someone would dunk it, he'd say, with authority. right? But, but seriously, what comes into your mind when you hear that word authority? Is it perhaps your dad? Or perhaps the the government. Some of us cannot help but think about the government during COVID. Perhaps it's a boss at work. Or it's a teacher. Perhaps the, the clearest and most striking authority structure in our culture today, I believe, is the military, right? It's it's an absolute chain of authority built on authority. Interestingly, Proper authority and respect for that authority is one of the essential foundations of a functioning society. And yet, perhaps the most cherished value in the country that we live in as Americans is freedom. Specifically, the freedom from anyone telling us what we can and cannot do. It's a a really interesting juxtaposition to me. When people throw off proper authority, society begins to erode. And yet when improper authority asserts itself against citizens, society also begins to erode. As a whole, my generation, people my generation and especially younger, we have grown up with an unhealthy distrust of any authority figure, and especially authority structures. They are all just suspect by default, to my generation. It's institutional authority is, is perhaps the, the most suspect. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. We especially don't want anyone in an authority structure or an authority position that, that we just have to accept on, on blind faith. We want to throw off those shackles of authority and decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. Authority. That's what we're talking about today, but it's specifically not just authority in general, not the authorities that even God has put in place in our culture, in our world. We're talking about one man's authority. I want you to see it from our text today. Look with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 21 down to 34. Follow along with me in your copy as I read. This is God's word. Mark writes, And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent. And come out of him. And the unclean, excuse me, the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, "What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him." 
And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I want, you to show, I want to show you this morning from our text three different kinds of authority that Jesus has. And the first is his authority in teaching. His authority in teaching. Notice specifically verse 22 from our text again. Look there with me one more time. It says, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The juxtaposition between Jesus and the scribes, the way that the scribes would teach, was not the way that Jesus was teaching. Scribes in that day would teach based on somebody else's authority. They would point to God's word. They would point to the writings of Moses. They would point to the writings of the prophets. And they would say, look at those. The authority comes from those. And I'm going to teach you the interpretation of that. But really, the the scribes and the teachers and the rabbis of Jesus' day were pointing away from themselves to another authority. They did not claim authority for themselves. This is... Interestingly enough, one of the the goals of biblical preaching today, the preacher is to, to stand here and give you God's words, not his own. It is not my job to stand up here and tell you my own wisdom. And you shouldn't be coming for that. You're not coming to hear a man's words. You're not coming to hear what a man thinks. You're coming to hear from God. Preacher, tell us what God says. Give us the words of life. Give us the words of power. It is not for a preacher to stand up here and to quote a Bible verse and then use that as a jumping off point to give you whatever he wants to say about his hobby horses. And we're, we're not here for that. That's not going to give us what we need in our souls. We need words from God. And so, in a sense, that's exactly what I'm trying to do each week as I preach. We're, preachers are trying to point you to the words of God. We're not speaking on our own authority. We, we have a certain authority vested in us by God, but we're pointing you away from ourselves. But this isn't what Jesus was doing. Jesus was doing something totally different. He came with his own teaching, claiming his own authority. Surely it was true what they said of him in John 7. No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. You remember the setting where those words were said. The Pharisees were talking to people who came back from being around Jesus. And they said, why didn't you arrest him? And they said, you don't understand. No one ever spoke like this man. How how could we arrest someone who was speaking like that? He taught as one with authority. We see this same phrase being said of Jesus after he finished his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Remember, the the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And when he comes to the end of that sermon, in Matthew 7, 28, we read this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for 
He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, that helps us to understand what this means as one who had authority. Because if you look back at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, you will notice Jesus saying some amazing and unique things. He would say things like, blessed are you when you are persecuted on my account. He didn't didn't say, blessed are you when you are persecuted on God's account. He would say, on my account. This astounding teaching that, that he claims authority for himself. He would also go on to say things like, you have heard that it was said. And then he would, he would quote a teaching of the Pharisees. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, I tell you. He's claiming his own authority. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. You mean you came to fulfill them? You, this man standing right in front of us? He said in the Sermon on the Mount, on that day, on the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, or at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember this one. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. These words of mine. He's claiming an authority for himself that none of the other teachers in Israel would have dared to claim. He has authority in his teaching. He teaches unlike any of the other teachers. He claims authority for himself. This is a teaching with authority. But we also see here in Mark that his teaching had authority not just because of the way he said things or what he claimed. His teaching had authority because of what accompanied it. Look down at verse 27. Verse 27. What accompanied his teaching caused them to think it had authority? Verse 27. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. And then they said, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And so this leads to our next point that Jesus has authority over disease and demons. Jesus has authority over disease and demons. Now, I put both of those in this one point, but I want to look at them in turn. First, Jesus has authority over disease. We see that in our text. Verses 29 through 31 there, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. It says Simon, Simon Peter. That was two names that he went by. Peter's mother-in-law was ill. Jesus heals her immediately. She gets up and begins to serve her. Now, just a little sidebar comment. I want you to know this about the book of Mark. Notice how there in verse 29 it says, and immediately... He left the synagogue. And then verse 30, immediately they told him about her. You will see this word immediately over and over again in the book of Mark. In fact, the the Greek word there that's translated immediately occurs 51 times in your New Testament. 51. But 41 of those instances is in Mark. Mark loves this word. It's like his signature word. We, We said before in weeks past how Mark is very succinct. Mark is is. Very short compared to the other Gospels. He's moving the narrative along very quickly. Whereas John has 21 chapters and Luke has 24 and Matthew has 28. Mark has 16. And he's moving the narrative along very quickly. And he's constantly saying immediately, immediately, immediately. And so notice that. It's just a unique mark of the book of Mark, if you will. But 
The point here being Jesus has authority over disease. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then in verse 34, it says he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He has authority over disease. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 8 when the centurion came to Jesus asking Jesus to heal his servant? A Roman centurion comes up to Jesus, says, will you please come and heal my servant? He's laying home sick and paralyzed and suffering greatly, it says. And then Jesus says, I will come and I will heal him. But the centurion says, no, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. And then he says this. He says, I understand authority. I'm a man under authority and I have those under my authority. And I tell some of those under my authority, I say to this one, do, and he does that. I say to this one, come, and he comes. I understand authority. And by that, he was telling Jesus that he he had faith in Jesus' authority over disease and in Jesus' authority over distance. Because that centurion was saying to Jesus, because of your authority, you don't even have to come. You don't even have to be there. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I understand authority and you've got it. And Jesus marveled, it said. Jesus didn't find, Jesus said this. He says, I have not found this kind of faith in anyone in all of Israel. He's a Roman centurion. And he says, you've got authority. You don't even have to come. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus doesn't even go and he heals the servant. The servant is healed because of Jesus deciding that it would happen. Jesus has authority over disease. Now, practically for our own lives, here's what this means. Jesus has authority over your own suffering. Jesus has authority over your own diseases, your own disabilities. Jesus has authority over them. Now, first and foremost, this means, brothers and sisters, that Jesus has the power to heal you. Jesus has the power to heal you. Jesus has the power to heal your loved one. This is why we pray that he would, because he has the power to do it. Now, there's there's other things that we need to say here, and I'm going to say them here in just a second. But before we even get there... Let's not minimize the fact that Jesus has the power to heal. He does. It's it's a it's it's a absolute disgrace when Christians don't pray for healing. When Christians don't even take that step to pray about their sickness. Yeah, we go to the doctor, yeah, we take our medicine, yeah, we do all these things. But where is prayer, brothers and sisters? Where do we turn to first? Have we trained ourselves to believe, even if we wouldn't say it out loud, have we trained ourselves to believe that Jesus doesn't heal? He does. He has the authority to do so because he is the creator and sustainer of everything, of all of life. He can do whatever he wants in his creation. If he wants to heal, he can. But not only does Jesus have the authority to heal, he also has the authority to allow our sickness to remain. He has the authority to allow it to remain. And so whether we are healed or whether it remains, he is in control. He is in control either way, whether we are healed or whether it remains. Now, brothers and sisters, hear me on this. If you are in Christ, 
One day you will be healed. It's just a matter of when. If you are in Christ, one day you will be healed. It will happen. It is a certainty. It is just a matter of waiting. Perhaps he might heal you before then. But brothers and sisters, everyone has to die. We pray for God to heal us or to heal our loved ones of things like cancer. And if Jesus would heal us or our loved ones of cancer, that would be such a blessing. But everyone has to die. Death is coming for all of us. But our hope, our hope is not in the healing in this life. Our great and final hope is in a better healing, a more lasting healing that is coming for every single one of us. Every single one of us. And so whether our healing comes now or later, we trust him. We trust him. We trust in him that one day Jesus will use his authority over sin and death to completely rid us of all diseases and all disabilities. Life is so short, brothers and sisters. Life is so short when compared with eternity. Just hang on a little while longer and you will be healed. Our loved ones will be healed. It's just a little while longer longer, not far now. But we all have to die eventually. And so in this life, in this life, whether we are healed or whether it comes later, we trust Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17 says this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's not long now. It'll come. So Jesus has authority over sickness, over disease, but he also has authority over demons in our passage. Our passage shows us Jesus has authority over demons. Look at verse 24. Verse 24, the unclean spirit cries out and says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now notice here, demons know who Jesus is. They know. There is no question about it. Demons know who he is. Look at verse 34. Jesus, it says, it says Jesus would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Demons know who Jesus is. And isn't it ironic that the demons recognize Jesus while the religious leaders of the Jews, God's people, did not recognize him? The demons recognize him. And the religious leaders don't. This particular demon even calls Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth on the one hand, and the Holy One of God on the other. This demon has what we would call an orthodox Christology. He believes that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's a demon. This is astounding. And even the religious leaders can't see this. So what does that tell us? It it could tell us all kinds of things. I'll give you two. Two things that that tells us. Number one, it tells us that spiritual pride leads to a powerful spiritual blindness. Spiritual pride leads to a powerful spiritual blindness. Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 9, after he healed the man who was born blind, he then told the Pharisees, you're the ones who are blind. 
and you claim that you have sight. You're the ones who are blind. The spiritual pride of the Pharisees was something that not even demons have. There's a spiritual pride that the Pharisees have that not even the demons do that blinds the Pharisees, blinds the Pharisees from seeing who Jesus is. And their spiritual pride is, is in a sense, this, this attitude of, I am so good that God loves me because I am so good. I have the favor of God because of my obedience. God loves me because I am such a good Christian, such a good obeyer, what have you. The Pharisees believed that they were so good at obeying the law that God had to love them, and he did. That's what they believed because of their righteousness, their own. And this spiritual pride can cause a a severe and powerful spiritual blindness to where when the, the very Messiah that they were hoping for showed up in their midst, they didn't recognize him. While the demons did. And so spiritual pride leads to a powerful spiritual blindness. But the second thing that this shows us is, and follow me here, Satan gains nothing from hiding from his demons that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Satan gains nothing from that. We're not going to hide this from the demons. Let's just let the truth out there. Let's operate, Satan and his demons are thinking, let's operate based on reality here. We gain nothing from hiding this from demons. What does he gain to hide, who does he gain to hide it from? Human beings. Satan really has something to gain if he hides it from human beings. Because the, the knowledge that Jesus is the Holy One of God, if he can keep that from human beings, it will keep them from being saved. It will keep them on a path to hell. And Satan wants to take as many people down with him as he can. His fellow demons are already lost, so let's, let's just get that truth out there. But for humans, he wants to deceive them into thinking less of this man who really is the Holy One of God. If people can think less of this man, then they won't be lost to us, Satan saying. They won't be lost to us, to God the Father. Now this demon, he actually says Jesus is the Holy One of God. But this quote-unquote, confession, is not saving faith. This is not saving faith. This is important. Hear me on this. Just admitting that Jesus is the Son of God is not enough to save you. Just admitting that Jesus is the Son of God is not enough to save you. Even the demons admit that. Even the demons believe that. Believing that he is the Son of God is not enough to save you. The demons in Mark chapter 3, we will see there's a demon that calls him the son of God. In Mark chapter 5, there's a demon that calls Jesus son of the most high God. And they are not saved. What is the difference? Let's think of Peter's confession. Peter's great confession. When Jesus said, well, who do you all say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, we believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it says Jesus blessed him for that. Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon, for saying that, but not the demons. To the demons, he said, shut up. What's the difference? Well, the difference is Simon, Peter, says it out of a heart that loves Christ, out of a heart that wants to submit to his authority. Peter was obedient to the truth, whereas the demons hate it. They rebel against it. They don't cherish it. They don't love it. They hate that truth. 
You see the difference. It's not saving faith just to believe the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. That's an amazing fact. It's an amazing thing to accept, but it's not enough. You have to obey that truth. You have to act upon that truth. You have to come to Christ for salvation and to to give him your life, to let him be your Lord and Savior. Notice in verse 24, what does the demon say in verse 24? He says, have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? Why? Because they know. They know who he is. They know his power. They know his authority. And they know that one day he will. One day Jesus will use his authority to throw Satan and his demons into the lake of fire. And his victory will be decisive and swift and glorious. Revelations 12 Revelation 12 says Satan knows that his time is short. He knows. He knows he's on the losing end. He knows his time is short. He's dragging as many people down with him as he can. He knows he's on the losing side. So do the demons. And so, brothers and sisters, let us strengthen ourselves in Christ for the short fight that we have left. Because we know, as it says in Revelation 16, that God, the God of peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Just a little longer. And so Jesus has authority in his teaching. He has authority over disease and demons. But I want to close with this. He has authority over all things. Jesus has authority over all things. Let me just walk you through the book of Mark here for a second. You don't have to flip to all these, but I just want, want you to get an idea to this theme that shows up again and again in the book of Mark of authority. So, for example, in Mark 2.10, Jesus heals a paralyzed man and he tells the people around, the reason I healed him, the reason I'm going to heal him, he says, is so that you will believe that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus claims that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Authority. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Mark 3.15, Jesus gives out authority to the apostles. He gives them the authority to cast out demons. And he will do this again in Mark 6 when he sends out the 72. Once again, giving them authority to cast out demons. In Mark chapter 11. No, let's, let's do Mark chapter 4 first. Mark chapter 4, he calms the storm. And the disciples say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's an authority they've never seen. Authority over creation. In Mark chapter 11, the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are saying to Jesus, tell us by what authority that you are doing these things. He has authority over all things, brothers and sisters. He has been given this authority by his Father. And yet, especially there in Mark 11, he has no need to defend himself. No need to prove to anyone that he actually does have the authority. He is confident and secure in his relationship with the Father and his authority that he has been given. It exists whether people acknowledge it or not. Hear that this morning. Jesus' authority exists whether you acknowledge it or not. And there is coming a day when everyone must acknowledge it. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess But the key is, will you bow to that authority before that day? Will you bow voluntarily now? Or will he make you bow before Christ on the day of judgment? 
and then say, depart from me. Jesus has authority over everything. His authority extends to all galaxies and down to all microscopic particles and atoms. He has authority over all mankind, all animals, every living thing that was made. He has authority over all angels and demons and spiritual forces. He has authority over sin and death. He has authority over all things. But brothers and sisters and those who are here, to receive salvation and forgiveness, you must submit to his authority in your life. You must submit to his authority. You must give up control. You must become a servant of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Many, many, many people stumble over this. And it causes them to refuse Jesus as their Savior. They stumble over having to submit to someone and their authority. If you come to Christ, He can't just be your Savior, He must also be your Lord. We must submit to His commands and to His will for our lives. And yes, there is a sense in which Jesus has authority over every human being, but to receive salvation and forgiveness, you must willingly place yourself under his authority. I said before, my generation especially, we don't like authority. We try to throw off all kinds of authority. But one of the great secrets of this life is you're under authority all the time, whether you like it or not. No one escapes authority. No one. Bob Dylan said it. 50 years ago, you've got to serve somebody, right? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord himself, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Everyone serves somebody. And the great secret of life is that if you give up the control of your life, you give up your own authority to Christ, he will free you from a slavery that you didn't even know you had, a slavery to sin. He will free you from that. But you have to give up control. You have to submit to his authority. And that's the only way you'll find true freedom. Jesus has authority over all things, but he does not wield this authority as you would expect. He does not wield it as you would expect. In Mark ten forty two, the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest. Which one of us is the greatest? And Jesus says... People, people who are out there in the world, they, they lord their authority over others. They lord their authority over others. Their great ones exercise authority over them. And then he says, but not so with you. You are to serve one another. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who had all authority did not use it to get service out of other people. He used it to serve and to give of himself. In John 10, 18, speaking of his own life, Jesus says this, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. He's saying, people don't take my life from me. I will lay it down willingly, and I have the authority to do so, and I have the authority to take it up again. God has given him this authority. But I want to leave you with a verse that you might all be familiar with. The, the third to last verse in Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 
Right before Jesus gives that great commission, Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. All authority has been given to Jesus. And so the one who has been given all authority also said at the end of that, Surely I am with you to the end of the age. The one who has been given all authority is the one who promised to be with us as we go and make disciples and do the work of the Lord. All authority. He is with us, brothers and sisters. If he's with us, there's nothing that can stop us. If he is with us, there's nothing we can't do. If he is with us, there is nothing in this world that should make us fear. If he is with us, there are so many possibilities... And if he, is, if he is with us, it's all going to work out for his glory and for our good in the end. The one with all authority promised to go with us. He is with us. And so I end with this. Are there any here who have yet to submit to his authority? Do not get it twisted. Do not get it wrong. He is claiming authority over your life. Jesus is putting it to each and every single one of us and saying, you must lay down your authority. And if you want to keep it, you go right ahead. But in the end, it will turn out badly for your eternal punishment. Friends, why why don't you just give give, give him his authority now? Submit to his authority now. Because I tell you, you will submit to it one way or another. You will. Will you do it voluntarily now or involuntarily later? Let's take a moment and let's pray about that. Let's pray about everything we've just heard from the Lord. That's what this time here, we're going to give here in just a moment after I finish a couple minutes to pray silently and for you to respond to the Lord, whatever he's laid on your heart. Let's all go to the Lord. Let's all reckon with what he has just said to each one of us in our hearts. And then we'll come back together. We'll have an invitation time. During that invitation time, those who need to respond to God's word publicly can do so. But right now, we all need to respond to his word at least privately. Let's do that right now.